0: We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't
2: fathom it.
0: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world.
2: Live around the world on the internet and uh, at the MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the uh, the stream, the audio stream, and the podcast, and links to our social media sites where we simulcast a radio show each and every day. Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, for those of you who are wondering. And also broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello, hello, and good morning to you. Happy Hump Day. It is the Wednesday's... It is the middle of the week. It's that you know. It's the peak. It's the peak of the week, and then we kind of trail off into the weekend. It's already good. I'm looking forward to it. Lots of stuff happening um, today on the program. Uh, we have got a full boat um, of uh, of guests uh, here. Uh, I got a couple headlines that I'm going to dial into here in just a second, and then we're going to. Um, Get a chance to talk to a brand new guest from Reason. It's the Reason Foundation's vice, President's, uh, vice president for policy, Adrian Moore, who is going to come on board with us and talk about a new article uh, that just came out. I found this fascinating. I don't know if you will or not, but I did this for me and not for you, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, Matthew McCaffrey uh, has written an article in Reason magazine. He's a Ph.D. Uh, economist and an associate professor of entrepreneurship in the Manchester Business School in the UK, and he uh, wrote a piece in uh, Reason that uh, uh, that uh, Adrian was part of and helped work on, and that is about this moral panic surrounding um, what regulators are calling uh, gambling, not on the internet, not in person, not in you know. But in video games, of all things, and I found this the whole discussion because I've been following this discussion for a couple of years now, just fascinating. And um, I want to talk. Uh, I want to talk with Adrian about it because uh, you know there's we're, we're seeing a lot of different pushes uh, these days, uh, discussions about whether social media is harmful to our children and the internet and all these other things. Which, um, <clears throat> I'll be honest, my main question is, um, you know, are we letting uh, the internet and social media and video games babysit our children? Or are we taking control of things or what? Anyway, um, this this whole panic uh, has started here a few years ago. And um, it's, uh, this, is a, this is a great article that really discusses it. So, uh, Anatomy of a Moral Panic, Video Game... Loot Boxes is the name of the article, and it's a policy brief. Uh, so we're going to talk with uh, Adrian Moore here in just a minute about that uh, for Hour 1. Then in Hour 2, we're going to talk with State Senator Mike Shower. And uh, I don't know how much politics we're going to get into. <clears throat> we may just talk about, uh, I don't know, we may talk about airplanes. We may talk about, uh, did you see this latest article? Talking about the aging of the uh, refueling fleet uh, in the military. Uh, that's something that I'm sure Mike has some intimate knowledge of. Uh, Air Force gas stations in the sky are aging, with replacements hamstrung and a capacity crunch looming. And so we may talk to uh, Mike Shower about that. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll. We'll see how uh how things how things roll on that um so that's the that's the lineup for today i I would love to hear what uh i'd love to hear what uh you guys have to say uh on any of the stuff that we're going to talk about um some of the stories that are going on out there um the, I don't, did we talk about this? You know, sometimes I'm reading so much and I'm, I'm trying to find information and, and then sometimes I forget about what I talked about on the air. Like, did I, I know I read this and I had it ready to talk about, but did I actually talk about it? Uh, and maybe somebody out there can let me know if we got into this. Um, did we talk about the mayor's new, uh, plan, the mayor of Anchorage's new plan to ship homeless people to other places? Uh, Yesterday, if this is a fascinating topic, it really is, because um, because I I immediately expected there to be a lot of caterwalling and um, complaining about the fact that how dare we were just pushing our problems off onto other people, which there was a bit of that. But boy, not nearly the amount of pushback that I expected Um, The biggest contention that I think the mayor threw out there is the fact, and maybe we did talk a little bit about this because I remember saying something about it. The fact that in, in Alaska Anchorage is basically comprises 40% of the overall population of the state in just in Anchorage alone, the Metro area of Anchorage, but it accounts for 65% of the homelessness uh, in Anchorage. And, uh, so <clears throat> they have a disproportionate number of people there with a problem. You know, in Fairbanks, I know that there was a – before I left Fairbanks 10 years ago, there was a mild homeless problem there that I was vaguely aware of. I mean, I knew that there were some – but let's face it. It's much easier to be homeless in some place, you know, that is climatically – in, in the, as far as climate goes – Much easier to be homeless in some place like Anchorage versus Fairbanks where, you know, 60 below. Hard to be wandering around at 60 below when, uh, you know, when you're homeless versus, you know, down in Anchorage, it might be 10 below. So um, I could see as to why that would be more attractive. And there's probably more services and things like that. But the mayor's new plan is to basically offer anyone who wants a ticket to either the lower 48 or to some other destination inside of Alaska, if they want to go home, if they want to go, you know, to another community or whatever else. The caveat, which I know one of the original stories talked about, but the today's AP story doesn't mention it, is that they would only be giving tickets to people who had some kind of connectivity on the other end of where the ticket landed, meaning they had to have a family member, or there had to be some program that they would be plugged into before they flew out so they could be picked up and taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but like I said, I expected a huge hue and cry uh, on this uh, on this point. But uh, instead, what we got was a mild comment from Assembly Chair Chris Constant, who, um, who basically said, he told the ADN, that there have been no formal discussions with the mayor about this plan. Uh, And he said, uh, quote, a good portion of our individuals experiencing homelessness are Alaska's first people, Alaska natives. This is their place. There is no other place. That was kind of the comment. Like, okay, (laughs) I agree with you. The majority of them are Alaska natives, Alaska's first people, and they have no other place other than, you know, their own villages, their own communities where they were originally. Uh, I know that there was a vast depopulation of the villages over the last uh, 10, 12, 15 years. Uh, sometimes it was a matter of them coming in and getting stranded or them, you know, losing hope wherever they were. And in some cases it was more of a, here, let us ship you off to uh, to another community in, in that case to because, you, you know, there were some problems there. Or they couldn't be dealt with there. So I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting situation. As I said earlier about homelessness, it is such a complex issue that it cannot be solved. You know, in a hundred and forty-eight character tweet. There's no simple solution to this. Um, if you have ever watched the documentary uh, from uh, uh, from uh, uh, is it Cairo? I think it's Cairo. One of the major news outlets in uh, Seattle that was. Uh, Produced about four years ago called Seattle is Dying. If you've ever watched that, it is a true. It it, it is a very eye opening um, look at what homelessness is all about. And then the Reason Foundation actually had a very fascinating um, analysis that they did in three major cities uh, about how each one dealt with homelessness and what kind of successes or failures they were having with that. And that is also a great piece from Reason Magazine, uh, because you know that that's what really what we need to do. We, we need to we need to look at places that have succeeded in what they're doing, and we should emulate some of that stuff um, instead of you know copying what Los Angeles and Seattle are doing, which seems to be just exacerbating the problem. We should be looking at other places to do it, but it's again a complex issue. It's it's a fascinating topic, and it's sad. It's very sad because there's a huge component of mental health problems as well on top of the people who are out of work and some of the hard times and, uh, you know, the the problems that uh, they encountered and everything else. There's also a component of that mental health and drug and alcohol and substance abuse and everything else. It's it's sad. It's very sad. I, I wish there was a magic wand we could wave to fix it, but – Anyway, uh, so that was one of the big stories. Uh, The other one was I'm going to be so confused moving forward uh, because uh, Bethany Markham, who is the executive director of APF, the Alaska Policy Forum, is now going to be the new state director for AFP, Americans for Prosperity. So APF and AFP. She's she's And I don't know if she's still retaining her executive directorship on the policy form, but she's now going to be the state director for Americans for Prosperity Alaska, which is, uh, you know, it's a group that focuses on government spending and holding them accountable and doing things. And it has a a political action committee that gets involved with campaigns and everything else. Um, Must read calls it a libertarian leaning advocacy nonprofit. I mean, I, <clears throat> is this one of those times where I go, you're not libertarian enough? I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, as a libertarian, I have to chuckle anytime time. It's the, it's the label is thrown out there. But I don't know. I'm going to be confused <clears throat> by, uh, you know, whether or not uh, it's APF or AFP or whatever. But congratulations to, to, uh, uh, to Bethany. She's been through the ringer here in the last uh, few months. Uh, You know, when she was they they tried to put her on the (laughs) tried to put her on the the uh, UAA Regents Board and everything else. And she just got put through the meat grinder at the legislature. And, uh, you know, but she's she's done a lot of um, she's she's done a lot of good work in the state of Alaska. and, And I'm happy for her. I'm just going to need a flowchart to see which, which one she's going to be talking to us about next. Will it be Alaskans for, Americans for Prosperity, it will be the Alaska policy. For I just found that ironic. So, anyway. All right, well, we're coming up on the break. We got uh, our first guest who's going to be joining us here in a few moments, Adrian Moore from the Reason Foundation. And we're going to be talking about the moral panic surrounding GASP video games. And what does it really mean? We're going we're gonna to talk about that, get some details on it. That's all directly ahead. You're home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio, The Michael Duke Show. Back with more right after this.
0: If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
2: Okay, uh, in the commercial break right now, I see that uh, Mr. Moore is in the green room. Awaiting our uh, awaiting our, uh, uh, our our attention here. We'll be right there to him in just a hot second to test the audio and everything else. Let me go back real quick on the comments just to make sure that I uh, didn't miss anything important while I was on my mini. It wasn't a rant, but it was a it was a dissertation on the local things that were happening and everything else. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Hello. My dad's in the chat room. Hey, dad. How you doing? Um, that's how you know you've made it. Your dad watches you in the morning. That's how you know you're, you know, you've made it all good. Um, good morning. Um, (laughs) born at night, but not last night. Uh, blue ticket. Um, and Fairbanks now has squatters taking people's homes, said Lisa and Gary Young. Um, I didn't realize that, like I said, before I left Fairbanks 10 years ago, there was a my, I mean, you kind of vaguely knew it was going on, but it has exploded in the last, you know, 10, 12 years, this problem. Um, wow. And our resident bomb thrower is throwing bombs. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, how is this going to affect the homeless drug alcoholic industrial complex? I don't know. There is a lot of money being thrown around to discuss this stuff, and you're right. I mean, I think there has to be a solution. I don't know what the solution is. I know, like I said, Reason has done recently, about a month and a half, two months ago, they had a whole series where they went and looked at different cities, and it was a fascinating look at what was being done and what was working in one location, but what wasn't wasn't working in another. And like I said, this is a this is a complex issue. You're not going to fix this with a soundbite. Um. No, 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 says Brian. I am the most libertarian of all libertarians. Not enough for me, buddy, is what I'm saying right now. All right, uh, enough of the jaw jacking. Let's get over to the uh, studio here and uh, pop in with Adrian Moore, who joins us this morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? i'm doing great thanks good morning well i appreciate you coming on board are you am i libertarian enough for you i mean that's what i want to know i mean i try to
3: i try to adopt a a, i I think part of being libertarian is being very very tolerant so i try to i try to not get upset at people unless they really uh are 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 trying to be too controlling so yeah i guess degrees of libertarianism I try to i try to be taller <laughs> i always
2: i always have to chuckle because it's always like oh i see you're one of those i'm an right. yeah. i'm an exactly. a, i'm an an Ar- an anar- anarcho capitalistic voluntarism libertarian oh my god you know i mean come on the alphabet soup is fine believe what you how want about, to believe how about
3: just more freedom yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs>
2: How about just, yeah, libertarian, what was my, my favorite bumper sticker is libertarians wanting to take over the world so they can leave you alone kind of thing. You know what I mean? That's that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Just less, less of that and more freedom. Can we just, can we just agree on that? Um, Anyway, this uh, article, which we're going to, we're going to rejoin the radio here in about 90 seconds, but this article is fascinating because I've been following this whole debate and it this this whole like you said the, the article says moral panic around this whole idea of oh my god our children are being exposed to the gambling and the and the the dopamine hits from every time they succeed in the you know and and it's just uh, the pearl clutching on this is astonishing in so many ways and of course the government uh, you know they never saw a panic that they didn't want to you know utilize Black. utilize to expand their powers and everything else but this is a fascinating topic, and I'm glad that uh, you guys have uh, put this together, that Reasons put it out, and that uh, uh, that uh, Matthew McCaffrey has has uh, put this together. So uh, I look forward to hearing what your thoughts are on this, and and uh, we, we can discuss it. It'll be uh, it'll be interesting here. So the ding the ding means we're 30 seconds out. So here we go. We're going to rejoin again. Adrian Moore is our guest. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, with him about. The uh, moral panic surrounding gambling in video gambling in video games, and how uh, it's it's like the satanic panic of the '80s. Man, it's Dungeons and Dragons all over again. Here we go. The Michael Duke yeah. Show: Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Public enema Number
0: One. Oh wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public Enemy Number One. Which. That makes more sense. On the other hand, he's
2: a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. What? I am not. I paid people to say that I was absolutely not. Welcome back to the Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio broadcasting across the state of Alaska. On this, your favorite radio station and or translator, FM translator, and of course, across the Internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and all of our social media feeds as well. Interesting topic today. I've been following this since uh, 2016, 2017, when it really started to get out of the public eye. Uh, Probably not something many of you have thought about, but there's been this whole pushback. Uh, About on video games, about things like loot boxes and purchases for private skins, and all this other different kind of things that you can get. And there really started to be this kind of burgeoning panic about it, and uh, that somehow we were, oh, we were, you know, we were, we were tempting. You know, addictive personality gamblers. And we were tempting children. I mean, It was very reminiscent, in my mind, of the late 80s satanic panic over the whole thing about Dungeons and Dragons and how that was. And, of course, now that's a worldwide thing and people love it and everything else. And we discovered it wasn't nearly as bad as people thought it was. Uh, anyway, um, Matthew McCaffrey, uh, who is a Ph.D. economist and an associate professor of entrepreneurship at the uh, Manchester Business School, uh, has written an article and, uh, about this whole thing, the anatomy of what he calls a moral panic. And Adrian Moore, who is the vice president of policy at the Reason Foundation, also uh, a Ph.D. economist from the University of California Uh, He holds a Master of Economics at the University of California. He helped uh, put this together and reviewed this and kind of worked with Matthew on this. So Adrian Moore has come on board this morning to discuss this article with us and give us some details. And I I don't know if you listeners are interested. I find this fascinating because, again, as a 54-year-old Gen Xer who – man my first video game was pong i liked me some pong you know what i mean and it's just continued on to this day it's one of the things that i enjoy to do but i've been watching this whole loot box thing and the gambling cycle and it's to me it makes it makes no sense other than it gives government more power let's see what adrian moore has to say good morning sir how are you good morning
3: thanks very much for having me on
2: well i appreciate
3: it (laughs) The gaming, uh, you know, you can't see, but uh, directly in front of me in the Airbnb I'm staying in right now is my is the TV with my Xbox hooked up to it because <laughs> I'm addicted to Halo. <laughs> I play Halo almost every day.
2: Oh wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a you know, and not to not to not to cause some controversy between us, but I am a member of the PC master race. You ah, you well, savage console play player. Yeah, yeah, no. I, <laughs> that's a right that's a running joke folks between yes. uh, between gamers <laughs> is whether the pc or the console is superior um uh, you know, gamers know yeah, yeah gamers know for sure Um, So let's talk a little bit about this article. Give me some backstory here. I mean, you know, they're talking about gambling. They're likening what's going on in video games to some kind of unregulated or unregistered gambling. And it's going to have this huge detrimental effect on the populace, especially since children disproportionately, you know, play video games. Give me the rundown here, Adrian. uh, What's going on?
3: Yeah, so the um, basically what this study about that matt McCaffrey's has done he, he's done a lot of work on this he's got a book out called uh the uh the visible the invisible hand in virtual economies and uh um and he's then built on that work uh and done uh, a lot of research on economics of gaming in a lot of ways and he became very interested in this question Uh, As really, two years ago, we had a bill introduced in Congress to regulate loot boxes, right? Uh, And the idea is here, for those of you who aren't gamers, everybody who's a gamer knows exactly what a loot box is. Everybody who isn't has no idea what we're talking about. But it's basically when you're playing a game, you have an opportunity uh, to win these prize boxes in various formats in the game and open them for items that help you in the game. You can also purchase these boxes now because you don't necessarily know exactly what you're going to get it's a little bit of a gamble right so let's say you agree to charge your credit card five bucks to buy uh, a loot box uh and and then you pop it open and you get some bunch of stuff that's good in the game uh it's a little it's a little bit like a gamble now the moral panic sets in you say, because we know kids play games. And so if kids are actually spending real money to roll the dice on these loot boxes, then that means kids are gambling, is sort of the logic here. And so right. therefore it's gotta be regulated. And what Matt's study did was he said, well, A, uh, what we know about this is all research based on adults. There's, all, there's virtually no research actually done on kids doing this, um, B, most kids don't have a credit card, so that means their parents are letting them have access to a credit card in order to purchase this. So there is some direct parental involvement. And C, it's, uh, it, it doesn't involve very many gamers. Most gamers don't pay. In fact, there's a whole divide in gaming between people who are willing to pay real-world money and people who only want to play free-to-play games. Or you purchase the game up front but then you don't pay any more money to keep playing it right and so all of this sort of adds up and what he does is he looks at all the studies that purport to show uh that kids are maybe being harmed by these loot boxes and says when you add all of those things up plus the fact that the studies look at very small numbers uh, and find very little effect that we don't there's no evidence (laughs) no evidence at all that kids are sort of being harmed by this there's just this some nannies in washington can imagine that some kids might be getting harmed and therefore we need a law. which is kind of the way it goes in washington these days. we don't wait for markets to fail right
2: right no because they don't
3: fail that often so instead we imagine market failures and then we regulate to prevent our imagined Market failures, just in case, just in case.
2: Right, right. Well, and, and to break this down a little bit more, uh because uh, you know what's happening is, America in this case seems to be a little bit more of a monkey see monkey do proposition because in Europe they have already they've gone whole hog on the whole loot box thing in Europe. In Europe, I mean they did de- they declared it almost like a public health crisis kind of thing, you know, and they really wanted to lock down on it, and they've knuckled down on it now. For, again, for listeners who are not familiar, if you play a game and you work through, you know, quests or you do things, you reach certain levels, you know, every time you have an achievement, uh, you know, they'll give you one of these boxes. So you get them for free in the game and they give you, usually it's things that don't affect the outcome of the game. Usually it's just, you know, uh, uh, things that are cosmetic or things like that, just, you know, kind of flair or swag, whatever you want to call it. Um, but having the opportunity to purchase those is, is also good. This leads to a whole nother discussion about microtransactions in video games, which, oh, yeah. which is another huge t- I mean, there could be a whole one hour segment on that alone. Um, which again, I would find fascinating. My listeners would probably be snoozing because they're like, what's a video game? Um, you know, kind of thing. I mean, I love them, but you know, most of them don't, uh, don't, don't dabble in this. But what I found interesting about this piece was again, The numbers that the politicians are going after uh, or are utilizing are so low. The research that Matthew did came up and said, you know, we don't know quite how many pay for loot boxes, but surveys find 1.8 to 25 percent of of adolescent gamers and 8 to 11 percent among adult gamers actually buy loot boxes. So it's a very – Overall, it's, a, I mean, 1.8 to 25%. That's a pretty big, you know, margin wow. of error, but that's still a pretty small, uh, pretty small sample. And as you said, most of these kids, they don't have their own credit card. They had to ask mom and dad and mom and dad were okay with it. So there must be some. Now we do hear about the story. I mean, what was the story about the kid about four years ago? Somehow got a hold of his parents' thing and bought something like eighteen thousand dollars worth of loot boxes or something for a game. I mean, it does you know weird stuff does happen, but that's a that's an outlier, right? I mean, this is not a normal thing.
3: Well, and not only that, but there's for, there's hundreds of stories of of kids getting a hold of the parents' credit cards and you know going on a shopping spree. I mean, why right. this one uh, loot box story? Is, is supposed to be uh, a lesson? Is right? Is, is amazing?
2: Yeah, amazing. They, they, <laughs> yeah, bought, <it's... laughs> they bought a bunch of stuff in Farmville. It wasn't just loot boxes. You know, they were on some Facebook game and they bought a million stars in Dora the Explorer or something, right? I mean, yeah.
3: And and you know, it's also you know not that much like gambling. I want to talk about. So
2: I apologize for the. Uh, uh, I
3: saw in the comment. Um, of course, the uh, the the fire um, extinguisher inspectors at my Airbnb showed up right when we started to uh, <laughs> knocked on the door uh, and had to come in and get that. And uh, I'm glad you broadened the view because they were also complaining about the blank wall behind you, which again, it's an Airbnb, man. I don't. Control hey, the deck.
2: hey, don't 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 uh, don't feed don't feed the trolls, man. Don't feed the trolls. Right, exactly. So.
3: But uh, the, one of the things that struck me in this work is is that they really stretch this to call it gambling. And like I say, you know, it's a little bit of the roll of the dice, but the difference between say, you know, what you might think of as the pure kind of thrill gambling, which is, you know, your, say your, um, uh, slot machines, right. You're putting money in you're right. spinning, right. The thrill comes from winning more money than you put in or the chance of doing so, and the anticipation and excitement of doing that. Um, you know, skills of, of games of skill like poker, you know, I mean, there's a reason why they're regulated differently, because you can, you have more control of the outcome in poker than you do with a, a slot machine. Um, but all of those, you know, the, 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 the loot box, they're likening it more to like the slot machine, where you're just, Paying five bucks and you'll see what you get, but right. it's not really like that. Generally, there's all different classes of loot boxes. You can buy, you know, let's say you're playing a Dungeons and Dragons type game, which I think people can visualize in their mind. You can, you can get a loot box that gives you weapons. You can get a loot box that gives you armor. You can get a loot box that gives you materials that you need to make things. And so you're choosing categories and... And you're hoping you get good stuff. So there's a little bit of a roll of the dice, but it's not like pulling a a, a slot machine right. It's not even that kind of gambling. So they they start from a false premise. Then, like you say, all the surveys and research show that only a small percentage of gamers do this. And 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 then you know the fact that the parents are involved in all of these things. I mean, it's really, really, really a stretch to say. Somehow these games are tricking kids into socially and psychologically harmful behaviors that are going to scar them for life if we don't step in and regulate uh, these loot boxes. Uh, Well,
2: and what is essentially a leisure activity, that's what kills me. I mean, it's essentially a leisure activity, but the government feel so compelled to get involved in all of these things. And this goes back to the latest push. I mean, this has been going on for about five years now, six years on this whole loot box thing. But the latest thing is the whole push about social media and how it's bad for kids. And yet the studies don't really prove all that out. I mean, social media has got some harms for everybody, not just kids and everything else. But again, it's a free activity. It's a free leisure You know, are we going to control everything that you do? You shouldn't eat that pizza because you're overweight and you, you know, you shouldn't eat that. I mean, that's the that's the problem. And it seems like we look more and more and we've been conditioned through public education and everything else more and more to basically implicitly trust the government, which, by the way, doesn't have a great track record. I mean, you know, I mean, this is this is some insane stuff. But like I said, in Europe, they've swallowed this hook, line and sinker and america's like oh let's let's get involved in that right
3: yeah you know and 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 that's what gets me is if if they're really trying they're not even internally consistent if they're really trying to protect people you know you look at where you know potentially real harms could be going on and and and, and things like that so when they when they go after stuff that's so far out on the margin like this like say a leisure activity i mean it, it reveals their true world view which is just that the government really needs to have its finger in every single thing just to be on the safe side i mean heck this morning bright and early before i came back and got cleaned up for the show i played disc golf right <laughs> so again for those of you who don't know it's like golf only you play it with a frisbee you throw it down the field and you try to get it into this basket and of course just like regular golf there's ponds of water and stuff around there only a golf ball costs about a buck each a disc costs about 20 bucks each so when you throw a bad throw and it goes into the pond there's 20 bucks down the drain you know maybe we should have regulations (laughs)
2: Wait, wait, don't give them, don't give them any ideas. I know I
3: shouldn't say that. Someone might be listening who works for the government. Yeah. On you and your guests, you know, but uh, it just, it's like you can manufacture a harm out of anything, which means if the government is supposed to protect us all from harm, there is literally no limit on the power of government. So we have to let go of this whole idea that the government's job is to protect us from harm. Uh, There may be some extreme circumstances where, you know, there just isn't any individual or or voluntary collective way. I haven't seen it. I don't know what it is. But, uh, you know, until we get to that point where there's something where there's just no way for us to voluntarily and cooperatively solve the problem. Uh, I don't want to hear from the government about it. But instead, we hear from them about every little ding-dang thing, no matter how picky you are.
2: Well, and and that's ultimately, when you look at this, this is what, I mean, it's about control. I mean, in the long run, there may be some kind of, uh, you know, moral imperative from some of the people who work in government in the Bureau. But overall, it is the nature of government. And I can't remember if it was Bastiat or... Descars or who said it, but basically something about, you know, that the nature of bureaucracy is to grow and to consolidate its power and to continue to grow. And we've and it's it's just that's just the way it is. And so it doesn't necessarily make it evil or some kind of you know holding their pinky up to their mouth kind of thing it's just the nature of the beast and so as Is they see sense? yeah, yeah. As, as they see more and more they're like oh well, we could do that oh and we could do that and we could could and we could control that and we could oversee that and it just consolidates that power and um i mean i I'm quite honest i've i've mentioned several times over the last 15 years that if the founding fathers were around today they'd probably be down at the tavern talking a little treason because they never they never considered the <laughs> how deeply the government has inveigled itself into every aspect of our life. I mean, leisure time, you know, you want to throw darts. They're going to want to, you know, the, the, that was what the founding fathers would probably understand is something like darts. And they'd be like, no loot boxes with darts. What? I mean, no, no
3: gambling, no gambling. With no darts. gambling. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and I, it's, I think and they'd this, be is such
3: a competitive, this is such a competitive area too. I mean, any, if you game, you know, if, if, you open up your PC and you go to, so very popular Steam, right, is a, Steam is a service, an app, an, a, a website, whatever you want to call it, um, that, uh, that makes, that is like a market for games.
2: Right, uh, it's a clearinghouse, right.
3: It's a clearinghouse, it's an easy way to buy games. I mean, the, the number of games you can buy on your computer through Steam is amazing. Open your iPhone or your Android phone and go to games in the app store and look at the hundreds of thousands of games. Go on your Xbox or your PlayStation and look at the hundreds of thousands of games you can get. People, if a game is ripping people off, they leave. I belong to a a community of gamers, people I've never met, but I've played various games with. For many, many years, we all chat on Discord and stuff. And, and we're changing games all the time. If this game starts to suck, then we move to another game. And, uh, and and if they charge too much or they their loot boxes are lousy and you're not getting good value for money, you move on to another game. It's a very competitive market. So, again, where is right. the market failure that the government needs to step in? They have to invent it. They have to invoke the children, their favorite, right? Right,
2: exactly. Uh- uh, hold the line here. We're running a... Up- we're running a little bit we're running a little bit behind here. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to be back in just a minute. Adrian Moore is our guest the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio.
0: Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, nice beard. The Michael Duke Show.
2: Okay, so first of all, I got to say to Adrian, Halo, that's so 2000, bro. I mean. (laughs)
3: Dude, I've never quit playing it. Uh, (laughs) You
2: know, I just. You
3: said you played Pong. That's oh. like 19,
2: that's the 80s, man. Oh, that's like the late 70s, man. That's like, <laughs> I remember when my dad, my dad. Yo, you're was, right.
3: I played it in high school you, in 76. So. Yeah.
2: My dad was a, uh, uh, he was a manufacturer's rep and he dealt with electronics. And so I remember when that first thing came in and it was literally the big paddle with a knob on it and we were playing pong and <laughs> then it was Coleco Vision and Atari and just all these different what? things. Um, but um I just I don't have the I don't know if I just don't have the fine motor skills. I've never done I've never enjoyed consoles that much. I played Fallout on my console cuz that was you could sit on the couch and for several hours and but uh no, I'm a I'm a I'm a PC gamer now and I like I just got I got Diablo 4 here a while ago when it came out a couple of weeks ago and uh I put way too much time into that for sure. I'll tell you that for nothing. But yeah, I mean, right. you know, there is just such there's something so fun and relaxing about well, it's like anything. It's like reading a good book or watching a good movie, putting yourself in somebody else's skin for a little bit, uh, where you can be a, a wizard or a or a warrior or a monk or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you want to be. You could be some other character, um, uh, an elf, and go with Breath of the Wild or, you know, something else. You could do whatever you want to be. And, uh, and I think that's healthy. But this interest by the government to try and overregulate Everything is just so disappointing in so many ways.
3: Yeah, I'd actually like to talk when we go back on about um, uh, the psychological benefits of gaming. Because there's a whole, you know, it, there's a whole literature on that.
2: Right. Oh, yeah. No, uh-huh. absolutely. And we might I might want to touch on the whole microtransaction thing, because there's been this fundamental shift in gaming from I mean, it used to be you buy a AAA game and it would cost you, you know, 50 bucks or whatever. And then maybe you had to pay for an expansion or something. But now they've looked at these models, and pol- these models and policies, these gaming companies, and they're like, how can we get that reoccurring revenue? How can we right. get that money every month? You know, it's like Blizzard and World of Warcraft. I mean, I have subscribed to World of Warcraft for, well... I mean, <laughs> I to, yeah, 20, 22 years. I've been. I've longer had,
3: than I've had kids.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you start looking at this, and you realize I just spent fourteen bucks a month for twenty two years playing World of Warcraft. You know, and and you know, it's wow. that it's that reoccurring revenue. And then how do we get? And that's where these microtransactions came in, and that's how the whole loot box thing started was because they were looking for some additional reoccurring revenue. But, I mean, I've bought loot boxes for my kids for birthdays and holidays for games because we all played together. You know, we all played certain games together, and I'm like, you get 10 loot boxes, and you get 10 loot boxes, and you get 10 loot boxes. You know, and it's like it's been fun, but I just – the idea that somehow that is akin to the evils of gambling is just – I mean – my, my
3: oldest kid just graduated from law school,
2: and uh, we
3: still play Minecraft together. Oh We're wow. playing this weekend, in fact.
2: Oh, that's <laughs> great. That's great. I know we, my kids and I now, I think the, the one thing that we play a lot, we play Overwatch a lot. And that's where I bought all the loot boxes was, you know, here you get to, you know. And that was just four or five years ago when I bought them all okay. the, you know, things. But the, the fact that the government feels so compelled to get involved, and I know a lot of it is do-goodery right it's that kind of nannies like you said the nanny state thing but some of it is just i think the the want to control you know there's that kind of narcissistic sociopathic tendency in some of these officials that's kind of who they have to be to want to be where they're at anyway to want to control other people and other things so it's a it's a fascinating topic um, <clears throat> all right, uh, let's see, where are we at right now? Whoops, getting a little feedback there. Where are we at right now? Uh, we are about a minute out, we're running just a bit behind here. I'm going to modify your settings just a sec, just to make sure that we can get the echo cancellation out and do that. All right, all right, hopefully, that does it. Okay. Um. What else? I mean, what else are you playing besides okay. Halo and Minecraft? You've said that. What else are you playing?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so many. Um, well, I. So I'm talking to you on my iPad. I play a lot of games on my iPad.
2: Oh, really? Uh,
3: so I, uh, you know, there's a bunch of iOS games uh, that I play They're, where I'm in guilds uh, and we, we do lots of cooperative events. I do a space warfare one.
2: Oh man, I can't wait. Have you have you have you you played Star Citizen?
3: I have. Oh man. Not not hooked on it, but I am.
2: I am. I've been I I'm into that deep, baby. So deep. It's my libertarian space cowboy fantasy, is what it is. All right, we're gonna jump back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
0: The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show.
2: All right, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for coming on board. Uh, joined today by Adrian Moore, who is the uh, vice president of policy for the Reason Foundation. We're talking about video games of all things, but it's government interventionalism that's really causing the heart of the debate. Uh, We've been talking about how there's been a moral panic around the idea that loot boxes somehow equate to gambling. We've shown that the numbers don't necessarily, you know, match that out and everything else. Uh, But we've kind of gone over a lot of that ground today. And uh, you said you wanted to talk about, I've already forgotten. That's I have the brain of a a (laughs) mouse at this point. Yeah, (laughs) we talked about a lot on the break. But yeah, well,
3: one of the things they That this whole notion ignores is is clearly gaming is frivolous. And so uh, there's, uh, if if it's potentially harmful, then we should regulate this is kind of the thinking uh, of, of these nannies who want to step in. And interestingly, there's like all this research showing the benefits of gaming. I mean, we think of it, and it's at its core, it's it's a leisure activity, right? It's entertainment. It's like you pay Fifteen bucks to get into the movie theater, and however much more you pay for snacks, and you get to watch a two-hour movie. That's just twenty-five bucks to get entertained for two hours. Right. Very straightforward, and so on to watch sports, whatever it may be. We, you know, we pay for all kinds of entertaining leisure activities, um, and 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 no one no one sort of thinks twice about it. Well, gaming is also that. Gaming is a fun way to kill time. That's and and spend time. I like social gaming. I like gaming where I'm playing with other players and doing it cooperatively. Part of the reason I play Halo is the guy I went to high school with, uh, you know, now I'm in my 60s and we still play Halo together. Uh, we start, you know, and we've known each other and that's we live in different parts of the country and that's how we hang out together. Now,
2: Absolutely. Right.
3: But but it's also gaming is also the a lot of the psychological benefits come from the fact that you are able to accomplish things, you're able to complete tasks, achieve achievements, <laughs> and uh, you know overcome obstacles, right? It a lot of people get have jobs or they're in public school and they get very little of that feeling of achievement and accomplishment, right. making progress in their life from their day to day life. And so for a half an hour or an hour a day going in and gaming and actually accomplishing things and feeling that sense of achievement. A lot of the psychological benefit from gaming is that that helps people stuck in, you know, jobs that may be boring on a day to day basis or kids stuck in school that may be boring on a day to day basis. Um, and that's a huge benefit and they just ignore all that and say, well, we don't care about all that nonsense. We got to regulate
2: it. Yeah, I have to laugh because comparatively they're like, oh, you know, you went to a baseball game. I mean, it costs you $250 to go to the baseball right. game for the three hours or whatever that the game was, you know, or you bought it on pay-per-view. Man, I buy That's a...
3: That's as American as apple pie. Yeah, so exactly. I buy
2: wrong. a $60 video game and I'm wasting my money. But I this is something I poured hours into, like 50, 60, 70, 100 hours, sometimes years later. It's... <clears throat> I can't even tell... I have played... Thousands of hours of like World of Warcraft or something over the last 20 years. I definitely got my money's worth, you know, kind of thing. I felt good about it. Right. But but they've got to come in and protect you from yourself. Um, and a lot of this came about because there's been a fundamental shift in the gaming industry to this idea of what they call microtransactions. It used to be you buy the game. You played the game. That was pretty much it. Maybe there was a subscription service where you had to pay a monthly fee to stay connected, and people did that. I mean, they've been doing that with WoW for 22 years now, right? World of Warcraft for 22 years. But but then they started to say, hmm, how can we get that money every month? So they did they did subscriptions. They did seasons. They did all these things. But that's where the loot boxes came from. If you really want this, sure, you can buy it. Um, but, again, does the government belong in my leisure activities i think that's the biggest question of this whole thing
3: yeah the the whole thing and the microtransaction thing is uh i mean there's a little bit of a psychological play there because it's a pretty straightforward thing you can reproduce this in all kinds of experiments and experimental economists do this all the time uh if you say to somebody hey we want you to play this game and you have to pay 40 dollars a year to play this game um a lot of people won't; they'll they'll take, play a free game instead. Right. But if you if you if you let people get the game for free, and then within the game you say if if you want to do more in this game, you can pay five bucks, and it opens up a new area, or it gives you you know you can go up to level twenty uh, for free, and then if you want, and then and then you just repeat that you can get people to pay way more than 40 bucks in a year by, by making it incremental because people will pay more in $5 chunks than they will run <laughs> one single check for.
2: There's a psychology uh, there's, to it. Yeah. There's definitely there's,
3: psychology. There's a psychological, psychological, uh, taking advantage. And in fact, my son-in-law is getting his PhD in economics right now. He's at the college of the school of economics in Barcelona of all places. Uh, but his whole, um, uh, Ph.D. research is on the economics, uh, doing experimental economics within games, because people really do. I mean, you know, in Warcraft, leave aside spending real world money within the game. There's a huge market trading. um, Oh, yeah. uh, Trading equipment and, and materials and all kinds of stuff that you can find and acquire within the game, which means there's real functioning markets in these games, which means you can study them like you can study experiments, uh, in a much more controlled setting than the real world. And you can learn yeah. a lot as economists from
2: that. Oh, that's fascinating because then there's not only that, then there's the bleed over from the game economy to the real world economy. Exactly. Cause people will bu- people <laughs> and, will buy and sell items outside of the game and trade real cash. I mean, it's I'm sure it's as an economist, it's got to be a fascinating conundrum. We're down to the last minute, though. So I guess I'll ask you, Adrian, more your kind of your final thoughts on this whole idea that we need the nanny state to come in and protect us from our leisure activities in not just video games, but our leisure activities in general.
3: Absolutely not. There's there's never a good reason for the government to step in to something that is entirely voluntary. Nobody's forcing anybody to game. Uh, Nobody's forcing any parents to give their credit cards to their kids to buy any loot boxes. There is multiple levels of choice and multiple uh, opportunities uh, for people to uh, exercise their own methods of control and managing problems. There's literally nothing for the government to fix here, which probably won't stop them, but it certainly is something we should be fighting and fighting hard over.
2: I uh, I agree. I mean, it's our it's it's our decision to make. It's our mistakes to make if we want to. But again, I just I look at it as far as the leisure time. I mean, the video game community, especially they're spending a fraction of the money that many of these super sports fans and everything else are spending. They're getting hundreds of more hours as far as a return on investment. Like you said, the benefits of feeling that sense of achievement when you do something or whatever it is it's a mental health thing for me i really enjoy it it's my one way to unplug from the world and i love it uh anyway adrian moore it's been a fascinating conversation i've really enjoyed this hold the line thanks for coming on board hold the line we're out of time the michael duke show yeah i mean i get somebody in the chat room just said they want to know what's your secret they said did you say 60 if only, oh. I, if only I looked so young. When my wife hears someone say that, she gets really pissed.
3: Does she really? Because I mean, I don't know. I just. Um, I mean, so yeah.
2: I, I look older than you, and I'm 53. Okay, it's it's all Sorry, the man. it's all it's all the Santa Claus. Well, if I shave my beard off, I'd look like I was 12. Okay. So that's why oh, I, that's okay. why I have so to do that.
3: you'd rather air this direction? Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. I'd rather err on the side of the wise old sage than the young whippersnapper, but. It's amazing to me. And, uh, you know, I was a little facetious with the listeners here a minute ago when I said most of them probably don't care about video games. But we look at it and the average age of the gamer um, and and the average gaming community, there is, of course, all the kids are into it. But really, when you look at the core gamers that have been around for years, I mean, there are definitely I mean, I play with a bunch of guys who are all in their 50s that play all the time i i play with younger guys and i i'm like you i like to play the social games i play the diablos and the and the star citizens and and things like that you know the the division and the tom clancy games and things but i enjoy playing with people you know i do the solo thing but again i've got a ton of people who are in their 40s 50s uh late 50s who are still playing this is not simply a kid thing at all these days no
3: and um... And it's also the social part is way more. I think most people in our generation uh, and even down probably to, you know, in their 40s these days who
1: who never
3: really got into gaming don't think that these relationships are important or as important or as real. But I've met a lot of my gaming friends in the real world. You know, I'm like traveling to San Diego. I'm like, hey, so I'm, I'm going to Brussels coming up. Uh, later this year. And one of the guys I game with lives in Brussels and we're going out for drinks when I'm there, you know, and uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a great uh, way to actually spend You know, real time in conversation, but also doing things together with people that you, you know, you otherwise never have any interaction.
2: with. Right. And I've played Um, with people, as you said, I've played with people for years. I've got people that I've (laughs) never met face to face, that I've played games with for 15 or 20 years. Because we used, first it was TeamSpeak or whatever we were using <laughs> or, or voice chat in the game. And now, of course, it's Discord and everything Discord, else. Right. But, yeah, exactly. but yeah, it's... It, I've they, got a uh, buddy in
3: Australia that I've played with for probably 20 years and we've never met. He's never yeah. been to America. I've never been to Australia. Yeah. yeah. It
2: just, no, but. it's it's fascinating. <laughs> but the fact that the government wants to get involved in every, uh, in every aspect of your life. This is just, again, more proof positive that more you know that the more government begets more government is as unfortunately exactly. um so you'll have to you have my email now you'll have yeah. you'll have to send me your gamer tag or whatever you know whatever okay. list of games you're playing and i'll and just look just look for the old sourdough gamer that's who i am there, so you could oh, okay. you know, right. do that um,
3: yeah. well hey it was great i i love uh love love the conversation so yeah. anytime anytime you want me on to talk about any reason related crap uh let me know oh i'll count. keep i'll yep. definitely
2: keep you in mind we have a we have a solid stream of uh you know jd 2 and jacob sullivan eric wow. graham and you know a lot of those guys have come on the program and talked to us but uh I'll, cool. I'll yeah, keep- we have
3: we have a real interesting variety uh among us you know <laughs> absolutely <laughs> the kids and the old guys and yeah. And, you know, J.D. and his compound and...
2: <laughs> oh, J.D. and I, we, we get deep in the weeds sometimes. J.D. Oh, yeah, yeah. JD is one of my favorite guys. Uh, we get talking, and especially every Friday on the program, you're not familiar with the show, but every Friday we call it firearms Friday. Cause that's all we talk oh, nice. about is guns in front. And, and so JD, who's been following a lot of these things and the ghost gun debate and everything else has been part awesome. of it. But if you ever get anything you think is interesting, send me an email, man. We'll talk about it. I've, cool. I've enjoyed the hell out of this. Hey, one
3: of the highlights of my career. So I'm, I'm a vet and uh, you know, I, I taught firearms a lot. I was a drill sergeant in the army and stuff. So uh, once upon a time, I'm at a reason event and matt stone from uh, South Park is there and he he just mentioned gosh you know I have always wanted to learn how to shoot guns. So the next day I took him to the beverly hills uh, uh, gun club and taught him how to shoot and uh, we had the most fun he brought his girlfriend. And it was a blast. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. You know, that's, I've, I'm a, and I'm a certified instructor and I've taught a lot of people, but it's the fun, especially people who are kind of wishy-washy or on the fence. And you oh, take yeah. them, you take them to the range and they're like sold. They're sold. And
3: Dave, J.D. and I did that once we had a Reason weekend event and we just reserved two lanes at a, at a, at a local gun club and told anybody who wanted to come. We had about 15 people. Uh, who'd either never shot or had only been shooting a few times come who were all reason supporters and fans and uh, we put them through some classes and let them all blaze away we had a stack of guns and they had a blast. I mean, that is so fun.
2: Yeah. It's so fun to I mean, introduce
3: people to shooting.
2: No, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> so I look forward to it. Well, like I said, if you get an interesting topic or whatever, drop me a line. Okay. I'd, I'd love to hear from you and right. uh, yeah, we'll, uh, maybe we'll hook up on discord or something and and do something fun. That would be fun <laughs> together. So, all right, Adrian, thank you so much for coming on board. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you coming on board. That's Adrian Moore folks, uh, who is a vice president of policy at the Reason Foundation uh, for what I find to be a very fascinating topic. I know somebody in the chat room is saying what a waste of time, but that's okay. I mean, it's not for, if it's not for you, that's okay. That's how it works around here. Uh, I enjoyed that immensely. And let's face it, I do that for me. As, you know, If you guys enjoy it, great. If not, I did it for me. Sometimes we got to stop talking about the Menuche and politics and all the, you know, whatever, uh, it will, uh, it, it's just, it's fascinating. All right. Um, you're on discord. I love discord. Yeah. I mean, I actually have a discord, uh, that I set up for the common sense core, but I never initial, I never initiated it because, um, I didn't think that the, uh, I didn't think that the listeners would – I didn't think there would be very many listeners who'd take advantage of it. So I never actually – I put it together. I built it, but I never launched it. Uh, but Discord is a definitely definitely a fascinating tool, and I love using it. So anyway. Um, all right. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
0: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world.
2: Live across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello, good morning, welcome to Hump Day, hour two of the big radio broadcast. I've had so much fun in the last segment. Somebody, somebody, some in the chat room are like, oh, it's just... I, I don't know why we didn't talk about politics enough. We didn't uh, talk doom and gloom enough. Um, I uh, I had a great time with uh, Adrian Moore from Reason. Uh, you can go back if you just just joining us. Welcome. You could have been a member of the Six O'clock Club by getting up just a little bit earlier. Um, but I would. Uh, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast or watch the replay on Facebook or YouTube. But uh, Adrian Moore, Vice President of Policy for Reason, the Reason Foundation, coming on board to talk with us about. Video game loot boxes, which is, I mean, it's such a weird topic, but I loved it, man. I had such a great time. Uh, Anyway, uh, looking forward to the rest of the show today Um, and uh, joining us uh, to discuss all things whatever. It's not, I don't know if we're even going to get into politics today. We may just talk about whatever, whatever. Uh, Joining me today is State Senator Mike Schauer who comes on for what we colloquially like to call the shower hour of power. It's not alliteration, it's poetry, says Donna. So we can't call it alliteration, it's just poetry. Shower hour of power, Mike Shower, State Senator, District O. Good morning, my friend. How are you?
1: Good morning, Mr. Dukes. How are you?
2: You know, I'm doing just fine today. Like I said, today was a little bit lighthearted. I mean, that's a fascinating topic for me. And I'm going to do that more often, just things that interest me. And I hope it interests the listeners. But if not, there's a knob on that thing that can turn it off. That's how it works. Um,
1: I bet they will be more interested than they think they are. Hmm. Well, especially when
2: you, know, well, when you can tie it back. I mean, people might be like, well, video games. I don't play video games. Well, but we play video games and then we talk about how the government's getting involved in it and trying to interfere in something that's just a leisure activity. Maybe you should be concerned about that. I'm just saying, you know, there is some interesting tiebacks to it. But at the same time, I can have a fun time with all the other stuff. Are you much are you a gamer? Do you do you game at all?
1: I used to play video games a lot. Yeah. Um... And I haven't played in years, mostly just too busy and no time. And then, I mean, I know this is going to sound a little odd when I'm in Juno, whether I have committees to do or not, which last year was pretty boring. um, There really isn't a good setup to do it. I mean, I have to take all the stuff down there and try to set up on a little TV in a, you know, rental house or, you know, whatever. It's just not practical. So you kind of take that four months out, you kind of lose interest and, I, I've really just been too busy. Yeah, I haven't had that much time to, to play it like I used to when I was a little bit younger. And I used to just love like the flying games, right? I mean, sure, favorite, well, right? sure. Mean, yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> Big surprise there. Uh, the flying games. I should get you into. Uh, I should get you into uh, my libertarian spow- space cowboy sim because then you can fly spaceships and do dogfighting in spaceships. I'd love to see. I'd love to see that. Oh, sure. Uh, love to do that yeah that, the
1: new ones they got so you're talking gaming right so any topic is you know yeah any for right? Yeah. not just politics but so they have a new sim right now that um and i i may play this a little bit more like i said it's been a long time but i kind of missed the flying part right as far as the the mission and they have new sims now that have br helmets on them so they have the whole setup where you have what's called hotas hands on throttle and stick right so you never have to. Pull your hands off and touch so you can just fly the aircraft do all the stuff pretty much from the um, from the controls and that's helpful when you're pulling g's right because you're looking over your shoulder or whatever in a dogfight, fight and you don't have time to look down and your hand's real heavy right because if you're under g it's hard to hold your you know your arm up and push it so everything's off the throttles and the stick and they have those as well they've got rudders that you can use and then you put this vr helmet on and this vr helmet Instead of having the, just a the little computer screen in front of you and having to switch the view, it's really awkward. You can look around and it's virtual, so it's it's like you're flying yeah. a real aircraft yeah. in one sense. But well, both geez, you don't have all of that the, the physical sensations. But um, I've seen what the what it looks like, and when you're looking around, you're like you know, so like you merge with somebody in a dogfight, and you can look around. and There he is, you know, it's like ooh. I gotta try that. I I might get hooked again because if I get if I get into that, where I can put a helmet on and look around and and go back dogfighting again, I'm like, oh, that's. That's going to be a time sink. I'm going to have to limit myself on that one because I probably would. Uh...
2: <laughs> you can't see it on camera, but there's actually a HOTA setup attached to my desk here. There's there's sticks on both sides uh, of my desk here uh, for my uh, for my space sim because that's what I love to do. That's one of the fun things to do for sure. It's uh, definitely interesting. Um, all right, Mike. Well, let's get the... Uh, I guess we can get some of the political stuff out of the way, but I, I do want to talk to you. I saw this article in the paper today, and I'd like to get your insight on it. Uh, the article is, uh, the Air Force gas stations in the sky are aging with replacements hamstrung and a capacity crunch looming, talking about how the aerial refueling tankers are all aging out and things like that. I want to talk about that as well, uh, just from your perspective uh, and where that goes, but... What's been going on, Mike? What's happening? I mean, I know you're in, you're in the interim, you're in the, 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 you know, the, the hiatus period, but what, uh, what's happening for Senator Shower and the world here in the world of uh, state legislative stuff?
1: Um, not much, uh, quite frankly, I mean, I, I mean, really from a day to day perspective right now, Mike, most of it is, you know, a constituent either calls the office or sends an email and says, Hey, I'm. You know, I, I'm i not getting my senior benefits or my disability, you know, was uh, denied. Uh, can you help? Um, probably one of the highest things we got, which was a surprise me years ago, I didn't realize how much of this there was a lot of land issues, right? People are having problems with the borough or the state, you know, with the uh, right-of-ways or, you know, property they bought and trying to fix things or road maintenance. That's, that's really what it is. A lot of it, this is just like normal day-to-day stuff um, that happens all year long, but that's usually what we see a lot of, um, in their, in their interim, I think you see a lot in the summertime because that's, you know, in, in the, when the interim starts in May, because that's when people are out, right? They're outside, the weather's better. They're doing a lot of stuff. They're going to their cabins or whatever it is. It seems to spike in the summertime. We don't get as much of it in the wintertime. So that's one small thing, but I mean, it's important to people, right? It's a, it's a big deal because you can pick up the phone and we can call, you know, from, you know, a Senate office and say, Hey guys, can you help? And usually we get pretty good help. Um, So that's that's one part of it. It's not much. There's a few, you know, like I said, I have like 19 or 20 community councils. That's not including city councils and assembly, you know, meetings, and that kind of stuff. So we try to hit as many of those every month as we can. A lot of them fall the same week. So it's like, yeah, okay, pick, you know, we're going to do, you know, like these two or three. And that's about all you can hit. But um, just trying to stay in the community so we can say, hey, guys, what's going on? It's good to have a staffer again back on staff that's in district. So we split the duties so we're able to see a little bit more. I mean, I mean, I'm mean, i talking about stuff you go, yeah, you know, whatever, boring. And it's true, but it is important because it gives us a chance to kind of get back on the, you know, hey, guys, what's going on? What's important to right. you? Look at the roads. That's always one. <laughs> Drive right. the roads. I go, have you seen these roads? I'm like, yeah, actually, I have. <laughs> I had to call uh, the Region 2 director about a month ago because driving Seward Meridian up here, uh, the north half of it, I don't know if you have recently, Mike, but oh, my goodness. it's And I know it's other places are bad, too, but it was like the Pothole 500. Um, you're, you're literally weaving down it, you know, back and forth, that little two lane and it's going to, you know, there's a plan. It's going to be turned into a three lane. It's come in all that's, you know, it's in the, it's in the queue, but I'm like, Hey dude, can you uh, send your guys here and repair this? Just put the patches down, please. Because literally, um, you know, people are busting tires and stuff anyway. So just that, that kind of maintenance you know, stuff, stuff, right? It's kind of, the,
2: yeah, it's kind of the day-to-day maintenance stuff of being a legislator versus, uh, you know, the deep, deep stuff but we know that's coming right i mean we're still seeing the 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 weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth the caterwauling about the vetoes you know all the other kind of stuff uh that's going on i mean they're already got their backers in the media talking about a lot of these things and we could see it we could see kind of the fight that's going to be brewing for this next session uh it's already it's already in process
1: yeah well mike this is what they do um there's nothing new under the sun here so uh whatever um you you're seeing mostly the a lot of the same people and of the new people that are in they're acting like the old people um many of them are <laughs> uh, you that's, know, true. So, that's true that's uh, true and you get the you know now we've got i mean the rhetoric what what is interesting i will say this you know they talk about you know oh hell shelly hughes and i you know we're just terrible people right which you know this is the projection part, you know. I forgot my welcome, by the way, to all of the staffers that uh, have to pay attention to this. So anything I say can and will be used against me in the court of the caucus opinion. Good morning and welcome. But um, <laughs> they say that we're the bad ones, right, in talking about it. But they haven't talked about the stuff that these people have been saying over the last year. You know, like for example, we're terrorists. If you want to get involved in your, oh, you're not just that. Members, you're cross burning.
2: So. You're cross burning
1: KKK cross-burning, members. Didn't you hear that? You no. Know, the, the kind of rhetoric that is coming out right now um, is is something I haven't seen, you know, coming up on year seven of doing this. I mean, we've talked certainly about the PFD and people's anger and, you know, breaking the law and not following the law and all kinds of things like that. But, you know, haven't really crossed into where people are actually using that kind of language and rhetoric. And now we're starting to see that. Um, so that's kind of interesting to watch. Watch that um, the language that's being used at the federal level, at the national level, is trickling down um, and being used at the state level now. That seemed to be something that we weren't doing before, but it's happening. So um, that's been kind of an interesting trend to watch coming out of the Senate. Uh, you know, you combine that kind of rhetoric and, and dangerous language with um, clearly violating the Constitution on the process for the budget. Uh it's a little bit disturbing and i'm kind of watching that so i'm really mike honestly i'm focused on next year next november i mean there's nothing that we're going to be able to do the three of us in a minority kind of shoved off to the side that's politics that's power over principle but what can you do about it really i mean um we're kind of stuck right now um spinning our wheels so rather than waste my time worrying about it um uh you know from a senate perspective that i can't do anything i'm just working with the house and the governor best i can you know um and that's about what i have so you have a state that is uh in an interesting place um oh yeah we had a good chance on the constitutional convention in my opinion to make a difference uh and we were outspent about 100 to 1 by lower 48 money right big unions special interest um that kind of stuff uh, a non spent a ton of money I, what, what is fascinating since we did went right into politics though, that you are seeing is a lot of pushback from middle America, right? Flyover country. Oh yeah. um, People on the right side of the political spectrum are starting to form groups like this moms for Liberty and other ones are really starting to push back. They're starting to finally go, Oh, Disney, you're going to push this kind of garbage on me and my kids. Well, we're not going to go see your place anymore. You got this $2 billion theme park in Oklahoma that this, uh, you know, group is forming right now to build us a counter to Disney. You have people blowing bud, bud, bud Light, you're gonna do the trans thing and, and whatever with your core constituency, which are rednecks who, you know, drink beer, watch NASCAR, shoot guns, um, and don't believe in that stuff, then we're not gonna buy your beer anymore. And it's, you know, it's falling apart. So it's been fascinating over the last few months to watch. I think we have reached a point where middle America has said, you know what, we're sick of this crap. Right. We're going to go join a school board. We're going to push back. Yeah. We're going to um, stop using our money and giving it to these freaking places well, that are they're pushing this garbage. We're going to form national groups that's pushing one hundred and thirty or 40, fifty thousand members, whatever it is now, and growing fast um, to fight back. So, you know, Mike, maybe there's some positive news on the horizon that average America is just tired of getting kicked around. Well, and, and, uh, and I would know, maybe yeah. that will roll into next November and we'll see what happens. There's always downstream stuff with elections presidential election years i don't know next november could be interesting and those people that did what they did this last year and what's coming up maybe things will be different we'll see
2: It, it, it is interesting because you just you just laid out a bunch of it too but i mean even just most recently you know the whole jason aldean thing try that in a small town deal um you know they tried to cancel the guy they tried to you know say all these things And yet it's done nothing but drive him to number one on streaming. His video on YouTube for this thing went from 300,000 views yesterday. I went and looked yesterday, 18 million views on this thing. And the first 15 pages of comments were all... I'm a liberal, I'm gay, but I love this song and the meaning. I don't think it means what it, you know, I think it's, it's unifying. And like the th- example, the sound of freedom movie, uh, you know, against all odds and everything else. And it beat out mission impossible last week. It's still, it's a blockbuster. People are still going to see it. It's still being added to theaters. And this is the thing that Hollywood and the left and the elites are all disdaining and poo pooing. But like you said, I think that there's that middle America flyover America or the silent majority who's just kind of kept quiet. They're putting their money where their mouth is and i think you're seeing that in uh in a lot of the uh, you know in, in a lot of things and maybe you're right maybe it's time where some of this stuff turns around a little bit you got one minute
1: um maybe i mean we don't know right i mean you, you never know what the future is going to hold we we get really fired up about something and we kind of let it go and we get overrun by daily life or whatever but you know there's there's always hope mike you got to stay hopeful or what's the point right i mean you can doom and gloom sure spend yourself into the toilet bowl and you could do that all day long. But at some point you got to try to stay positive. So I'm just looking for the positive side of things out of all this and see where it goes. You always got to look to the future and I'm seeing middle of America start to fight back yeah. with their wallet, with actions. And I think that is awesome. And uh, you know, some friends of ours and, and Michelle and I rented a theater up here in Wasilla for sound of freedom. I think we had about 50 people show up 60 people, something so that they could watch it a couple of weeks ago. It was awesome um and it was it was an innocent movie in the sense of there was no real political agenda behind they were trying to tell a story right and things like that and jason aldean like oh you're gonna try to can- cancel jason aldean good move you just put him number one on the charts that's stupid if you're on the other side of the aisle to I highlight know, these but things they, but hey they can't I'll take that kind of stupidity all day long Bring yeah, they it. they so, can't help whatever.
2: themselves they can't help themselves that's the problem they can't help themselves everybody should be as morally outraged as they are and then people listen and they go what are you talking about? There's nothing racist about Anyway, it's a whole fascinating discussion. All right, we're going to move off of politics, and we're going to talk a little bit about practicality. We're going to pick into Michael's brain here on uh, his knowledge of air ops and other things, talking about this latest uh, story about how our air tankers are aging out what's that mean. We're going to talk about that here in a minute, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
0: Huh. Listen to by more staffers in Juno than any other show, because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show.
2: <sighs> okay. Uh, hey there. <laughs> yeah, I had to, dude, I was morbidly curious last night. I was, I was sitting in my, sitting my computer working on something and, and anyway, something come up and I, I realized the Jason Aldean thing. I actually hadn't listened to the song. I'd read the lyrics and everything else, but I'd actually, so I went out to the face, to the YouTube channel and, uh the day before i had announced that it had gone from 300,000 to 16 million in just a 2 days it had gone to 18 million and i morbidly just started scrolling through the comments looking to see what people were saying i mean i literally it was 15 pages of comments that i scanned through not one of them was negative many of them were you know, I'm a gay liberal and I believe in what he says that this is all that's bogus. There's nothing wrong with this song. I love this song. I'm a black Democrat from the inner city. I believe in this song. I mean, it was just like this post after post after post. And I'm like, OK, so who's who's outraged about this? The elites, the politicians who have nothing to say about the songs with the thugs and the guns and the kill the cops and the, and the, you know, all the other negative messages that are in some of these other musics, but this music where he just says F A F O essentially in the song, you know, fool around and find out. They're mad about that because somehow it's an implicit threat. And I'm just like, what?
1: I mean, it's crazy. It's called cancel culture jason aldean dared to stand up to the narrative the things that have been happening to the destruction of this nation and how dare him do that that's not the approved narrative mike if you don't say the approved narrative they will shut you down they will cancel you they will call you a racist they will call you a gaslighter they'll do whatever they have to do and they will project their behavior onto you So Jason Aldean, who didn't say anything racist, nor did he mean anything by it, I believe what he said with it, it means people across this country, like we just said a few minutes ago, are sick and tired of what's happening. And frankly, let's get real honest here, Mike, you think most people in the cities are fine with what's happening? Right. They're not fine with it either. The people where these neighborhoods were burned down, where Antifa and BLM and stuff were causing all kinds of chaos and and damage and people getting hurt and in a lot of cases people getting killed. They're just as sick of it too. That's why I said Middle America, Mike, is not just white suburbia. Middle America is black, Asian, Latino, white. That's most of us is middle and then poor America. And it's fascinating to watch people fight back. And when you say you look at the comments, it says I'm a black Democrat or I'm a I'm a, a you know tra- I'm a gay or lesbian, they're just like us. Same problems, same issues, right? They're tired of crime. They're tired of all the garbage going on too. I think most of them still love this country, you know. At least in the on the theoretical side of it, right? It ain't perfect, but I always ask one question, Mike. When people we have these debates, young kids, you know, we see a lot of Mikey's friends come through, and I always ask one question, and it's the only question that really needs to be asked. I said, "On the planet, where are people going? If America is this terrible place that so many of the elites and the media establishment and the singers and the rest of them say it is, if it's so terrible." Why is it that this is the only country primarily where people are trying to get to? Right, well, people they're are not leaving people, America for Mexico or Canada right. or Europe or anywhere else. They're desperate to get here. People are dying to get they in. Freedom, they're, they're they dying. know they have opportunity.
2: Period. Yeah, well, that's what I said. They're dying to get in. We're the only place in the it's world where the people are still dying to get in. You have
1: to ask where are people going on this planet, and they're trying to come here. That's all you need to know, Mike. That's the base yeah. question. Ask it. And if people answer it honestly, they'll go, well, yeah, they're coming here. Why are they coming here? If it's so bad, according to the narrative, why are they trying to come here? Because they have opportunity. They have yeah. freedom. They have a chance. We have general law and order, generally, right? Where you're not going to be put into the gulag in Russia or in China or North Korea or Venezuela. You have a court system, generally, right? Ha ha, I laugh about that one up here. So that's the question, Mike. Ask the question. Where are they going, folks? They're coming here. Yeah. That's the thing.
2: People are still dying to cross this border. Uh, It's happening every day. And so that's got to say something in and of itself right there for sure. Uh, Mike Schauer is our guest. um, And uh, we're going to talk. We're going to change the topic just a little bit here. We're going to talk about his uh, personal experiences and get some thoughts from him on um, what's happening with our armed forces and things like that, kind of on the national level from his perspective. The Michael Duke Show. Welcome back, the Michael Duke Show, hour two on this hump day. And that means it's Mike Shower. Shower hour of power continues kind of done on the political side of it uh this i'm just kind of over politics today for the rest of the day but i saw this article this morning um in uh the uh in the adn talking about the headline reads air force gas stations in the sky are aging with replacements hamstrung and a capacity crunch looming now for those of you who are not aware uh state senator shower is retired air force he was an f-22 driver he uh he was the he was a eater that's right that's right he was an f he's got a silhouette of an F22 on his t-shirt he uh he was a a a pilot and a dog fighter and uh snake eater whatever they call him uh, up there doing his thing so he's intimately familiar with the whole idea of this and i don't know if you've seen this uh, article at all mike but basically they're talking about how basically the mid-air refueling uh 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 planes basically the kc-135s are all aging out and these are the tankers these are the big gas stations in the sky for our fighters and our other planes which allows us to be able to in military terms project force right across different areas of the globe uh that we're not just stuck uh to our land bases or to our carriers or whatever we have the ability to project power and project force uh, but now the average age they say of the KC-135 um, is is about 60 years old. They were built in 1963 as the average age built for these KCs, and they're starting to just age out. They just they can only take so many hours of flying before they can't fly anymore. But now there's problems with the whole uh, you know rebuilds, new designs, new things, and of course we got the whole eco warrior thing too about whether or not we want to have fuel running around in the skies. Um, as a as a warrior uh, and as a former fighter pilot, give me your thoughts on what's happening in that kind of realm of the Air Force and and what uh, what's going on.
1: Well, let's first of all. I'm going to say one thing that Michelle reminded me here this morning. I didn't say because uh, we were on the break, but I do want to. And not going back to politics because this is way more fun in one sense to talk about. But she reminded me that um, for those of us up here in the Matsu, maybe a few other places I'm not aware of, um, there's local elections coming up soon. And I just want don't want people to forget that. We have some good candidates stepping up, you know, for school board, especially in the Matsu, right, where we took over from liberals, the left side that had dominated our assembly and school board in the reddest part of the state. You're like, how is that? Because we never paid attention. That's the other thing that's been fascinating, right? The last few years, Mike, middle America is also stepping up and starting to take over school boards and other stuff and fight back. So it is important. Don't forget about it. There's some good candidates. Take a look at it. Now, we'll keep harping on it over the next few weeks. But. Local elections are coming up that are off cycle from the big, you know, state, federal elections. I just don't want people to forget about it. And maybe next week we'll talk a little more on the specifics and throw it out there. um, Some of the candidates and the times, but just for what it's worth. So on to the more fun topics of flying stuff and something I actually know something about. So the tankers, um, first of all, let's go in the strategic sense. The tankers are in in one sense, at least on the tactical side, even strategically, because they also refuel, you know, bombers. Um, and, and certain instances and in, in operational plans are one of the most important assets we have as a nation from a military perspective, like you said, projecting power. Without tankers, the Air Force is kind of hamstrung. And so is the Navy. You go, the Navy, they got carriers. Well, when we actually go to war, a lot of the times those same aircraft are refueled by Air Force tankers, right? Because they will switch out. and Some of them will have pods for, they have the, the what's called a drogue, that that drug is is reeled out behind the aircraft and it's got that big basket on it right that's stabilized by airflow and the navy uses those the air force uses that hard boom that kind of sticks down the back of the aircraft and plugs it in um, and some aircraft have both but if you try to have the navy refuel themselves which they will often do they have to dedicate aircraft to just refueling they're not going to the to combat right because they're full of extra gas they have extra fuel tanks on it works, but it is a it limits what power they can project. And I used to say this, and the Navy understands that. I don't mean it in a negative sense. It is what it is. The carriers are an awesome, you know, power projection tool. But at the same time, you know, a, a 24 aircraft squadron of F-15Es can put out more combat power in a 24-hour period than an entire aircraft carrier can. And the reason for that is how they cycle, how much fuel they have, that kind of stuff, right? So, and the model carries a lot of, you know, a lot of weapons too, a lot of bombs, et cetera. So, why do I say all that? The KC-135s, like you said, are very old. They were very old when I was in, and I retired just over a decade ago, and they were having maintenance issues. I remember talking to a guy that's uh, down in Tinker where they do the the maintenance, a lot of the maintenance on them, um, sea checks and other things where they get really into the aircraft. He told me, this was years ago, Mike, I was still active duty. He said, I will never fly in a KC-135. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, I've been inside of those wings where they crawl in and do a lot of the checks and stuff, and he's like, they're full of rust. Stuff's falling apart. This was this was like probably fifteen plus years ago. Um, so the point is, Mike, you can only make airplanes fly for so long, and you have two options: you can either basically pull those aircraft apart and completely rebuild them, which is can be prohibitively expensive, or you buy new aircraft. Right? I mean, and that's just the reality of the business. You know, the world is dangerous. You had China, Russia, things happening all over the world. We need military power to an extent, from at least a you know a defense perspective, and. If you're going to still play somewhat the world's policemen and have alliances and have the possibility of having to fight a war somewhere else, then you need the ability to project the power. Tankers allow us to do that. Without that, you are hamstrung, right? We can't deploy right. our fighters overseas. The Navy is limited. Strategic strategic options are limited. So those KC-35s, KC-135s, KC I remember at one point we had like, like 700. That's a lot. That's more tankers than we have of any fighter block except F- F-16s. <laughs> So a lot of tankers, right? And now we're buying this KC um, uh, forty six, which is a the Boeing seven sixty seven, essentially. Right. However, it's not. I just talked to guys I was flying with a couple of weeks ago, and he was a. He's now a, he was active duty. Now he's a Reserver Guard KC forty six guy, and uh, he is. He's like, man, he's like, they're still not operational. I'm like, what? I'm like, this was like, you know, 10 years ago. Plus, we were working on this stuff. I'm like, I thought we're good. But he's like, yeah, we're buying, but they're not operational yet. We got, I'm not going to talk about all the problems. We got this problem and that problem and all these different things with it. And that's on a platform that's been a commercial airliner for 40 years. You know, yeah. has been around. It should be a simple thing. Mikey go, that aircraft's been around. It's not a new airplane you're building with all the problems you find with a new aircraft. It's a it's an established platform. You simply turn into a tanker, you add some stuff to it and off you go. Still not there. As a matter of fact, FedEx is buying the 767 in the same basic configuration that the Air Force was producing, the military version of that aircraft. But here's the problem. It always has been the problem. And the same problem with the F-22, for example, is that when you take a higher-end aircraft, and that's how they sold that tanker version, they said, oh, we're going to have a tanker It's going to carry more fuel, it's going to be able to carry cargo, and it's going to be great. And we're going to buy 100 of them. I go, 100. It's like the F-22. Fantastic, which it is. It's an amazing aircraft. There's still not another aircraft on the planet that can match it. Fit gen fighters, all awesome. We're going to buy 187 of them. What? We had 700 F-15s back in the day. And now you're going to ask that same 187 to do the same thing you asked 700s. You're going to ask 100 KC-46s to do the mission of 700 KC-135s. The problem, Mike, for military parlance is numbers. I think it was Stalin that said it may maybe misquoting, but it's in a quality quantity has a quality all its own. You have to have numbers because if you don't, what happens is you still only have so many pilots. You can only get so many airplanes in the air at once. They can only carry so much weaponry, so much fuel. The pilots get tired, have to come back and switch out. So if you don't have enough tankers to replace what you have, you start shrinking your strategic and tactical ability to do the mission. So, right. When we buy 100 new tankers, that's awesome. If we were going to buy 500 other new tankers, that would be more awesome. And it would also be required. If you got rid of the KC-135s, Mike, all of them, or they fall apart, they just shut them down, and all you got left are those uh, new tankers, we're in big, big trouble, brother. Right. Because we do not have the assets to do the mission. Well, we don't. Right. And that's l- the problem.
2: Like you just said, I mean, you had, you had 700 tankers in. Well, right now there's only 400, so it's almost half. 400 operational kc-135s and while boeing right. boeing got the boeing got the contract for the new kc-46 pegasus and it's all great except for the fact that as you said it's not operational it's got delays it's got problems it's been it it, 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 it just recently was uh, up until recently was barred from flying combat missions and they said it won't hit the full rate production run until late next year and it's a billion dollars over budget. So while I mean they're working it, obviously working the problem. This is, I mean, it, this is a uh, <laughs> th- this should have been done. Like as you said, this airframe is already thirty five or forty years old. Why is there such a challenge with this? Uh, if it was supposed to be a turnkey deal.
1: Yeah, the uh, one the couple of guys I was flying with, like said that were tanker pilots were telling me about it, and they actually said, you know, probably should have bought the. 45 version which was airbus and airbus 330 i think was the platform um and they said it was gonna you know anyways everybody always says yeah i remember that about the f-22 we should have bought the f-23 you know okay fine um you make the best of what you got and it's not that they're terrible um but it's not as much to me about the kc46 they will work the problems out right because we're the government we'll just throw more money at it i think we do that oh alaska does that So um, we could say it's oh, it's a government program. It's only going to cost a billion dollars and take five years. Okay, so copy. It's going to take two billion dollars in ten years. Noted. That's how (laughs) we work, right? Once you get locked into the contract, Mike, contractors know it. Right. Once you're locked in, you're stuck. It's like we're we're down this path of the KC-46. Boeing's got you by the uh, fish on, because what are you going to do? You're not going to stop midstream after spending ten or twenty or hundred billion dollars on the program, and you got the aircraft. You're going to just keep throwing money at it. We did that in the F-22 and the C-17 and every other program we're at, right? They they know how the game is played. They're not stupid. So um, we're kind of stuck with that. But here's, I go back to the real problem. The real problem is that we're not buying enough of them. That's the issue. Um, and it's not that you necessarily needed to have a one-for-one replacement, but brother, I got news for you. If we got rid of all the KC-135s, like I said, or they were grounded and all you have with those KC-46s, we're in big, big trouble because you cannot do the mission with it. There's not enough. There isn't. So you know I, I don't know mike this is a problem um, that where we're headed the uh, modern militaries are expensive the equipment has gotten more expensive we can't buy you know 5000 F16s you know we're you're down to 187 F22s you're down to x by of this i remember the C17 was the same thing we needed more of them we ended up with i don't know a couple hundred maybe 200 or something i don't remember the exact number not enough um, for what we do on the mission so that quantity is a is an important aspect um, of where this goes. We're buying a fair amount of F 35s, you know, but those were supposed to be a cheaper airplane. They're going to be almost as expensive as the F 22 was, and it's not nearly as capable. It's not a bad airplane, it's just not an F 22. Um, and that's it. That's what we have until we do this sixth gen fighter when it comes along. So it is frustrating to see it, Mike. It is a problem. Um, it's always probably going to be a problem. Military contractors promise the moon can't deliver the moon um and then ask you for a lot more money for that same moon <laughs> than what they promised <laughs> but that's what you gotta kind of wait kind of assume that happens so.
2: wait you're saying that there's a military industrial complex what
1: um <laughs> uh, i don't know what you're talking about mike i want to live
2: <laughs> mike showers our guest uh common sense radio up next free for all we're just going to talk about whatever back with more common sense liberty based free ticket radio That? common sense regularly heard on american radio. Michael Duke Show. radio mike showers our guest uh here on the program no i mean it's it's uh it's amazing to think that this is the this is the backbone to power projection you know, outside of carrier groups and everything else and all that kind of stuff, you know, you got to have that. And Alaska is in a unique position because geo, you know, in as far as geographically, we are the kind of the way station for that. I mean, a lot of this is coming out of the 168th refueling wing. Right. I mean, IELTS they handle a lot of stuff in the northern in the northern hemisphere. That's kind of their thing. Right. So we are integral to that whole kind of situation when it comes to doing this.
1: Yeah. And like I said, Mike, we don't have relatively that many tankers anymore as we're losing numbers. And it, and it doesn't matter. I mean, I have been we call it you're being drugged by. Um, I've been drugged by tankers many times, right, where they you, you have your fighter package it's going up and and off we go. And those guys drag us across the Pacific. I've been dragged across the I mean, all over the world, obviously. But um, without those guys, you couldn't we couldn't make it. You can't hop far enough down the Aleutian chain to get into Asia without the tankers. Um, you can't make it across the Atlantic, we might be able to hop, you know, I think you could go to like Greenland, Iceland, you know, and then into Europe if you had. but you know, you're going to lose aircraft along the way, they're going to break. I mean, things happen, you string yourself out. Um, so it's just tankers have become, like I said, a, really, I, I don't even look at it as tactical or operational to strategic kind of the three levels of continuum when you're talking about them. I mean, they're, they are a strategic asset. Um, they're just like a, you know, having nuclear missiles in silos or submarines, et cetera or, or nuclear-armed bombers. I mean, they're a part of that trial. Without them, you know, we we lack a significant capability. And, frankly, when you really look at it, again, in military parlance and go back and see it, tankers have been one of the things that have differentiated differentiated the United States from just about everybody else. We're the only country in the world still. Others have very limited ability, but we're the ones that have had massive tanker ability. We started this long time ago, not long after World War II, with, with propeller aircraft, actually. And doing this and it was something that was a game changer and other countries are kind of limited in their little sphere of influence and then you got to get your aircraft somewhere and then try to operate but we've been able to project that power across the planet um you know doing that with b2s for example you have b2s flying 40 plus hour missions well they can't do that without tankers right to Right. Get where they're going so right exactly they are a strategic asset that are very very important always have been
2: now the 46 is supposed to have higher capabilities than the 135 is that an order of magnitude different is it doubling i mean could half the number of 46s do the same job as 135s or is it is it uh is it fractional what what's the what have you what, what do you know on that
1: you still have to have numbers and i'll put it to you this way so let's say you had um let's say a kc46 had twice the fuel that a kc135 did to, to offload and it was going to drag uh you know Let's say six fighters, whatever. Pick a number because it depends on how far you're going, where you're going, all kinds of different factors are into it. But if it had twice the amount of fuel, you still have to refuel all of those fighters. And so it becomes really critical when you think of the war. Right. I've been in this in places like Iraq and Serbia, et cetera, where you have massive packages. Right. You know, hundreds of aircraft flying and you got the tankers all lined up and all the aircraft come in. If you had, say, 10 KC-46s doing the mission of, say, 20 or 25 or 30 KC-135s, you can't do it. And you go, well, Mike, they carry just as much gas. It's irrelevant because you have to cycle all those aircraft across those tankers to get them to fuel the top off to get them in country. If you have to wait for those side strike packages to get all of their fuel, by the time the people at the back of the line get their fuel and the people at the front of the line have been waiting for an hour, to get there, you're starting over again. You can't, right? You can't get there with the numbers, and it takes too long. So, your burning fuel takes number, you know, takes a certain amount of time. You, it's, it's back to you need the numbers of aircraft to replace them, not necessarily one for one, um, because you know, on just a deployment, one could do the mission of maybe two of just taking like four or six fighters, for example, it might get them there. Maybe you also have the other thing you got to factor in, Mike, about maintenance and breakdowns. You still have to have those aircraft be checked. They still have maintenance issues. They still break down. Well, what if you only bought 200 KC 46s to replace those 700, really, right? Almost KC 135s. Well, what if, uh, let's say, any average day we have an FMC rate is called mission capable of 80%, 85% with a tanker? Well, that means 15% of your aircraft aren't working. They're either down for long term checks, they've got maintenance issues, they're broken. And then all of a sudden you lose a few more because they break, something happens, whatever. Well, now you don't have spares. The concept in the military, we always need more stuff because you have spares, right? Because things break. Well, what happens if you don't have enough spares? Well, you just lost X percentage of the force you're trying to move or mission capability for the actual mission because you don't have enough aircraft to throw at the problem. And now you lose X part of your strike package. So this has ripple effects across us. We could talk about right. this for an hour, a full hour of just the the implications of not having enough tankers to replace the ones that you're losing from what they do it's a it's a big deal it re, you really have touched on a really big deal military. no
2: i mean again cuz in my mind as i look at it when you talk about being a strategic tactical or operational asset i mean a, a tanker is you know just as is almost as important as a carrier because of the ability to project that power and if you lose that ability it really hampers. Uh, it really hampers, hampers the operation at so many different levels. Um, it does. It's a fascinating topic. Absolutely fascinating. All right. Well, we're about to jump back into it here. Mike Shower is our guest. What are we going to talk about? Who knows. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, welcome back to the program. One final segment of the show today. Uh, we're talking with State Senator Mike Schauer. Did our politics. We talked about a little bit of aerial warfare stuff and kind of uh, planning on the whole uh, tanker fleet problem and everything else. Um, Mike, what else do you want to talk about today? I mean, I'm, I've enjoyed this conversation. To me, this is a fascinating conversation when we're talking about you know air defense and and what's going on with the military and the tanker problems and and everything else but uh, i want to give you a chance to just kind of chat up If you want to continue that you can or you want to talk about uh, the the whole f-35 thing is interesting to me because there's a program that was f- fraught with issues <laughs> i just i think we'll just put still it there. still is fraught with issues uh became very expensive and i mean in your mind you just mentioned it you know that, these things are almost as expensive as F-22s and still not as um, uh, not as capable. I mean, they're good aircraft, but they're not as capable as the F-22. Should we have just continued to pump out F-22s? Would have that been the, the better yes. option in your mind?
1: To an extent, but there was still never going to be, based on costs and how the program played out, there wasn't going to be a Navy version. The Marines probably weren't going to buy it. So it still became really an Air Force-centric aircraft. But we, when we started, remember, and I'll go back on this one and see, we always find things to talk about, but we started off with a one-for-one replacement for F-15Cs because it was an air superiority aircraft. And then it got more expensive, and they, they kept chopping up 700, no six, then 550, then five, then 400, then 387, then the number kept dropping. We ended up ultimately with 187. Problem is you don't have the numbers. You don't have the fleet, the size of the fleet to do the mission when you only give yourself five or six combat squadrons when you really need 12 or 15. I mean, you don't have its number. It's a numbers game. Like that's the if I was to say anything to get the message across people listening today, it's a numbers game, you have to have numbers, right? So in the air sense, when we're talking about tactical aircraft or the number of tankers, etc, you need numbers, not only for projecting the amount of force you need and the amount of mission capable aircraft, but you need spares, right? And so that is a big deal um from a numbers perspective i mean the f-35 will never be an f-22 like i said it's a good aircraft we need new airframes we've been burning the old ones up for many decades now in iraq and afghanistan et cetera, et cetera, and just training so you always need to have some new aircraft coming online because the others get old or you have to do these slept programs and stuff where they spend billions of dollars re-winging them re-engineering them doing all this stuff you now keeping it flying so, pick your poison. It's sometimes better just suck it up, poison pill, and buy a new aircraft because you got a brand new airframe and it's going to last another 30 years. So, it's like buying a new car, right? I mean, you make a decision, you go to the point, your car gets so old that maintaining it gets so expensive, you're like, ah, to heck with it. Just buy a new car, right? That's kind of the same decision matrix. And so, um, you could apply this to all kinds of things. Let's take school buses. I'm going to say this weird topic for a second, but think school buses. You know, they go, we got this really cool school bus. It's twice the size. It carries twice as many kids. And, you know, I know we had 300 of them before to cover the Matsu, but we're going to be able to do it with 100. And the bus drivers look at you and go, what are you doing? You can't do that because 100 buses can't cover in the amount of time required all the routes. Right. right? Exactly. It's the same concept, Mike. It really is. Like, you've got to have the numbers to cover what the mission requires. And so the F35 is capable it will never be an F22 we needed several hundred more F22s just to have the numbers to be able to do the missions that this country requires us to be able to do as a military service and so we had fallen on a number about 300 and you know 50 or so would probably have gotten us there 187 doesn't get it done and instead we buy the F35 but there's reasons that we can't go into for why it's never going to be an F22 great sensors new aircraft new airframe not i mean a good airplane Overall, but it doesn't have the speed and altitude. Those are important assets, right? To being able to do the mission. So, you have that same problem with the F-35. Um, you know, and, and I'll give you an example. of One, there was a guy that was the what's called the air vehicle, kind of the airframe part of it. He was a major, right, at Edwards when we were doing the tests on the F-22. And um, won't use names here, but um, super guy, really smart. He was a test pilot school graduate on the engineer side. They have both engineers and pilots test engineer, you know, the 800-pound brain, you know, super guy, uh, still friends, I still talk to him occasionally, and he was running as a major the air vehicle portion of the entire F-22 test program as a major. He moved on and went to F-35, his next assignment, while they were still spinning things up, this was many years ago, right, and I saw him one time, and I said, how's it going, man? He's like, oh, it's going okay. He's like, well, when we start talking. He's like, yeah, I'm in the air vehicle division. I'm like, oh, you're running that for the F-35? He's like, are you kidding and he was now a lieutenant colonel right he wasn't a major he's like are you kidding me dozer he's like there are i think it was 67 he said colonels and above in just the air vehicle portion of the program of the f-35 program <laughs> where one major was running it for the entire f-22 you had 67 colonels and above in just the air vehicle portion of the f-35 program Too can me. you imagine the waste the amount of money, because oh, now man. you're talking, you know, a trillion dollar program as opposed to the F-22 was about a 60, 65 billion dollar program. And the amount of bureaucracy, the infighting, you had all three service branches, Marine, Navy, Air Force with different versions of the airplane. You had foreign countries that were in the middle of this. He's like, it was a nightmare trying to make this thing work. And so, you know, the, the only thing in my opinion, well, not the only thing, but a thing we screwed up with the F-22 was. I believe we should have sold it to both Israel and Japan. Um, uh, there were options to do that. You can obviously detool certain parts of the aircraft. You don't give them, you know, they're gonna get the basic stealth and the, you know, the engines and all that, but those were two countries strategically as allies that it would have been a helpful platform to provide. Um, and here's the real key for us, right? Cause you're looking for our own interest. It's a hedge against other big countries in Asia, for example, <laughs> without naming names. Um, And it's also a hedge for things that are happening in the Middle East. But for us, what it would have done, Mike, it would have um, allowed the production line to stay open if we would have sold four or five or six squadrons worth of F-22s to those countries. I testified to Congress um, that they should do this uh, and they shut it down for various reasons. But what it like I said, it would have stretched the program out where the Air Force would have been able to um, buy more and, and budget for them. Because it, it was still because it was still in
2: right because yeah. it was still in production, and then it was about quantity Perfect. and keeping the factory going and everything else. You could have still had spares and parts and built new airframes and done everything else. That's Meanwhile, right. giving right. them a toned-down version of it and keeping the allies safe. And you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the other Asian country, China. I mean, China has put out a fifth-generation fighter now, and I don't know how its capabilities stack up. I'm not familiar enough with it, but. I mean, is the F-22 still the major airframe to beat on those kind of situations is, I mean, how is it? It is.
1: And that aircraft's not an F-22, but I will tell you, you know, without getting into, you know, kind of further details on it, what's more concerning is the, the weaponry. I mean, the, the missiles and things that, that several countries are working on are, are pretty advanced and we're still kind of have the same weapon. It's back to the same problem, Mike. We don't, we have a bureaucracy and all this legal garbage going on and all of this wrangling and, and lawsuits between us as opposed to going, we need to build this and build it now. We need a missile that does this and that. And it's like, oh, well, I'm going to sue you because I think I have a better one. And the next thing you know, the program that could have taken, you know, two years to accomplish that another country you just mentioned is doing every year. We're we're 10, 15 years into it and we still haven't produced a new missile.
2: Yeah. We
1: haven't had a new missile since the early 90s, Mike, in the AMRAP. Same right. thing. Right. So. We are sometimes our own worst enemy um, on the things that we need to provide to well, our men and women that they're serving um, because we get wrangled up in bureaucracy and lawsuits and stupidity when we should be producing things for them to be able to do what we're asking them to do well, and to be able to match yeah. countries that have money and no moral compass. Uh, And nothing to stop them from doing what they're doing.
2: Right. Well, 63 chefs in the kitchen uh, versus the one on the F-22 versus F-23. That says, that speaks volumes right there to what some of the problems are with what we've got going on. Um, Yeah, I mean, the technology. and, And now they're talking about these whole hypersonic kinetic kill and all these things that are threatening carrier groups and everything else. I mean, there's some... Yeah, there's some spooky stuff going on out there. We should you know, it's that whole World War II effort of get it done, get it done now. We built more airports in, in the time frame of World War II than we have since, ever and since. We built more in the four years of the war than we did in the in the rest of the
1: whole last five decades, six decades. It's amazing. Uh in fact, do you know that back in the day and I know we're about out of time, but did you know back then at the peak, I believe it was nineteen forty four the U.S. produced 100, and, I think it was about 144,000 aircraft in that year. That year, that year, they produced 12,000 aircraft a month. There was one factory producing a fighter, I forget, maybe p 38 at one of every 60 seconds. Every 60 seconds, a new airplane was rolling off the line. We were building Liberty ships like one a day, yeah, coming off the you know different ports. We were amazing back then, and today. We would be sued into oblivion um you know you can't do that that's that's gonna <laughs> upset the diversity quota you can't oh, produce man. That's gonna kill the, you're gonna get the, in. the bald frog it's like oh my god we can't we're do anything of, anymore. we're
2: out of time mike shower thank you so much folks we will see you guys tomorrow the michael duke show i it is amazing mike i mean what we did in those four and a half short years of uh of the wartime effort and I mean that's when things go out the window I understand that but at the same time we get so burdened down with the whole I mean again that blows my mind the whole F-22 program overseed by one guy the F-35 has got 60 plus guys and gals overseeing the I mean at some point somebody just didn't look at that org chart and go what <laughs> I mean just what it just makes no sense
1: at all. <laughs> we well, we're our own worst enemy sometimes I, for a lot of yeah. these things. Yeah. You know? We just get bogged and you, down. And, in you, it. And, you, and you can't do it. And the guy in charge, you know, in, in other countries goes, you know, he's the guy with, like, dictatorial powers. And he's like, do that or else. And everybody's like, yes, sir. Because they know they're going to get the you know back of the head if they don't. Right. And over here, it's like, you know, we're bogged down by CRT and, and DEI and all this other garbage crap, you know, that's taking place. And they go... In the civilian world, whatever, you know, and the government, but, but the one place, the one place that should be protected from all this garbage is the military. Yeah. Because they have a mission to do. And we can't afford to be worried about freaking DEI, division, inequality, and whatever else it is. Yeah, I know diversity. Words, yeah, it's diversity,
2: equality, and inclusion. Yeah. No. no, I
1: know what it is. I'm using, I'm, I'm using other words like divisive, you know, inequality, and whatever, but because um, it's really what it is. But that's the last place that shouldn't be used in the U.S. military because there's a mission there that supersedes any of that stuff.
2: Yeah, it's facts, and not feelings. It's not your feelings that should be concerned yeah. at that point. It should be the facts of it. It's a fa- you know, it's a fascinating discussion. Like you said, when you're facing a totalitarian type regime or you know a dictatorial regime, uh, whether it's under the label of communism or socialism or whatever, like we are in China, and you look at what's going on, and you're, you're right. I mean, the guy in the top says do this. There's no bogging down. There's no. That's how they're coming out with. And of course, the fact that they're building a lot of our other technologies and able to use that and hijack some of yeah, them yeah. and bring yeah. it into their own technology is, you know, we're just like we're just like we're the guy out in the desert digging the hole in the ground for ourselves, and there's a guy standing over us from China with a with a pistol holding it on us, and we're just waiting to dig our own grave on this. It's uh, it's it's crazy, but. Well, who knows, maybe better heads, cooler heads will prevail or smarter people will get involved. But, uh, it's a fascinating conversation, Mike. I enjoyed this. This was, uh, this was a good show today. Uh, thank you for coming next on board. Week,
1: um, soon I can come on next week, Mike, we'll talk and we're going to finish one or we start it, but I'm going to talk a little more, some military history, at least for one portion of it. I want to talk about Midway because you had asked about it and I've, I've read a lot about that. Like I said, I'm kind of a historian in one sense, um, from my degree, but, um, that one is one of the most fascinating battles and maybe a turning point in the in the Pacific for the U.S. And I just want to discuss that one because I really am. It's a it's a providential battle and it's worth talking about.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I uh, again, a huge fan of uh, history, especially World War Two military history always has fascinated me. So. All right. Uh, well, Mike Schauer, thank you so much, my friends. Good to talk with you. We will see you hopefully next week. Good luck. See ya. All right. See you later. The Michael Duke Show continues tomorrow, my friends. Appreciate you guys coming in and joining us. We will see you then. Don't forget to check out the Common Sense Core. You want to help support the show. You can send stars on Facebook. You can send super chats on uh, YouTube, whatever you need to do. We will see you guys tomorrow. Have a great day.